The events of the latter days as foretold by John can often seem complex and even frightening. Vivid symbolic prophecy fills each page, perhaps leaving us to wonder, what can I make of this? How can I find hope? Through the guidance of the Holy Ghost, these messages need not be ominous, but rather hopeful, a testimony that God and His plan for us are greater than we could possibly imagine. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. The thoughts and emotions that come to my mind when I think of the last days are uh, chaos, um, scary, but also excitement for what's going to come after. When I think about the last days, I think about a lot of fear and a lot of scary things that go around in the world. Um, but I also think about the Savior and that we're preparing for His return. And that brings feelings of hope and excitement. I kind of feel a little scared just because I don't really know like what will happen or like um, yeah, just what will happen the next day. But it does give me a lot of peace just knowing that um, I, as long as I follow Jesus Christ, I'm on the right path. The last days can seem terrifying and overwhelming, but thanks to my faith in Jesus Christ and knowing that it co leads to the second coming, I feel nothing but confidence and love and excitement. <laughs> When I seek comfort, the first place I turn to is the scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon. I feel like every time I open the scriptures with like this intent to ponder and receive revelation, I can feel that God, He loves me and He wants to speak to me. So that's where I find peace and comfort. On my mission, I had a lot of experiences where I had to seek um, the comfort and the guidance of the Lord. And I was very grateful for the opportunity to pray and to talk to my companion and to be able to receive that comfort and guidance that I needed. When I was feeling scared or afraid um, or even happy, I was able to have the Holy Ghost with me at all times. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Dr. Lynn Hilton Wilson. Dr. Wilson is a former adjunct professor at BYU and was an institute teacher for over 20 years. She's a co-founder and an active participant in Scriptures Central, the expansion of Book of Mormon Central, and is the author of several books and articles on the scriptures. Welcome, Lynn. Thanks. Nice to be here. And our special guest today, seated next to Lynn, is Michael D. Rhodes. Michael Rhodes is an Emeritus Associate Research Professor of Ancient Scripture at BYU and was married to his dear wife, Darlene, for 54 years. Together, they have five children, 13 grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren. Michael, so happy to have you here with us. Glad to be here. Thank you. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thanks for joining us today. And to each of you at home, we are so happy to have you joining us for today's discussion. Please follow along and share your thoughts with us on any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss. They relate to passages found in Revelation chapters 6 through 14. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we are going to discuss are first, John saw many events of Earth's history, especially those of the latter days, and second, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Lynn and Michael in footnotes. So as we jump into this first topic, John saw many events of Earth's history, especially those of latter days. What sort of background or context can, can you provide as we jump in yeah. specifically to chapters 6 through 14 yeah, right. and how they fit in with this first topic? So Joseph teaches in section 77 that there's these seven seals and each seal is a thousand years. So we go through these first 6,000 years from the time of Adam to Noah and Enoch to Abraham to King David's time period and then, of course, to our Savior's time. And the sixth seal that is opened is John's time as well. And, um, or, well, John lived ever since the Savior, right. so that doesn't really <laughs> count. But um, he opens up the sixth seal, and then we've got a little interlude. So we don't get the seventh seal right there in chapter seven, but we have a, a small little interlude where he says, I've got to talk to you about these 144,000. I've got to talk to you about these people that are going to be saved. And any number that's squared is important. Any number that's added to a thousand is almost like perfection or something. So he he describes what those are like and that they're going to be wearing white robes of purity. This is all in a temple setting, of course, because we're at the throne of God. So if we're at the throne of God, we're in a temple, the heavenly temple. And then by chapter eight, we get back to the chronology. And for three chapters, we start opening the seventh seal. And it takes a long time to get that seventh seal open. We've got these ministering angels that come and all sorts of beautiful disasters <laughs> that are going to happen. So we have the righteous and the wicked being I love separated that. They're out. Be they're beautiful disasters. Beautiful though, disasters. So beautiful. And um, we get to the point of our time. What should we be excited about or what sort of information can you add to what Lynn uh, has told us about studying uh, the book of Revelation specifically as we focus in on these, these seals? First of all, as a historical book, it's pretty lacking because, you know, the first five seals are covered in a few verses. Like 11 verses, right? Yeah. And, and you end up with the, the bulk dealing with the sixth and, and then the seventh uh, seal. One factor is in the, in the destructions and problems that are occurring, you see God's hand continuously in there. He's setting limits. Uh, you know, he'll say, destroy this, but don't destroy this and only kill a third of them mm -hmm. and so on. God is in control. Yes. Uh, you know, the dragon Satan is, is doing his best. You know, he knows that his time is almost up uh, and, and God is, is, controlling things and ensuring that his will will take place. We see God's hand throughout this revelation and throughout, throughout history. And I would love to hear from the audience, as we talk about the book of Revelation, some of the things can be scary. So my question to you is, how have you seen God's hand in your life during difficult times? Yvonne. Um, one of the hardest times of my life was in high school. Um, I lost one of my friends to suicide. And God, um, he couldn't necessarily take that away. He couldn't take away the bad that was happening. And the pain that I was feeling was real and it needed to be felt. But he could give me peace and he could give me comfort. Um, and with that peace and comfort, I was able to 
to keep moving forward and to keep seeing that life was worth living um, and keep feeling his love, even though it was just so hard. Yvonne, thank you for sharing something uh, so personal. Yvonne, how do you feel the Holy Ghost was able to be a part of, of that process of, of mourning and healing for you? Well, I know I wouldn't have been able to do it without the Holy Ghost, without that comforter. And I definitely saw him working through other people in order to provide me the comfort that I needed. And just all I could do was hold on to the bare bones of what I knew of the gospel at that point. And he was there when I read my scriptures when I went to church. And I could only do that much. And he, he, he gave me the peace during that time. You know, she brings up a, a really beautiful point that even though we have that, we, we feel God's hand in our life, it doesn't mean that it's going to take away uh, some of the hardships that we go through, yet we'll have that comfort. We'll be able to make it through. And that's a lot of what we see in the book of Revelation. Exactly. The themes, exactly. That is so true. So let's let's jump back in and start talking about some of these things. Well, Michael, what else can we learn about this vision that John is receiving and, and some of these seals and, and how they relate to us in these latter days? When you say seals, you automatically think of sealing in the temple. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we've got these seals on the scrolls, but the, the really important sealing is sealing us together as as a husband and wife and families for all eternity. And and favorite verses in chapter seven is, God will wipe away all tears. Uh, and, and you know, that, that comes from Isaiah as well. And, and that is a great comfort to, to me. Sherry uh, Dew has a beautiful quote that, that speaks to that. Uh, she says, the Lord has promised to heal our broken hearts and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to give power to the faint, to heal the wounded soul and to turn our weakness into strength, to take upon him our pains and sicknesses, to blot out our transgressions if we repent and loose the bands of death. He promised that if we will build our lives upon his rock, the devil will have no power over us. And he has vowed that he will never leave us or forsake us. There's simply no mortal equivalent, not in terms of commitment, power, or love. He is our only chance. How beautiful that is to, to go along with those words, about that, that image of him wiping away our tears. Oh, Michael, how have you felt in your life that the Savior has brought that comfort, has wiped away some of your tears? This is especially uh, touchy to me. Uh, two and a half years ago, my, my dear wife of 54 years passed away. Uh, she uh, suffered from multiple sclerosis for 25 years. And, and uh, when she was first diagnosed, the, she uh, asked for a blessing and we fasted and prayed and I, I laid my hands on her head and I couldn't bless her that she would be healed. I blessed her that she would be able to endure. And I, the Lord's hand in our life, uh, 25 years of love and caring for each other, formed a bond that will be eternal. And God's love manifest in, in just the beauty of seeing her patiently endure this terrible disease that, that took her ability to walk. Towards the end, she could hardly even talk. Uh, and as 
as I was holding her hand as she passed away, her last words to me were, I'll be waiting for you. And I know she is. And that's the message of the book of Revelation. It is. Christ will be there waiting with us and all those who are, according to chapter 7, what are they who are arrayed in white robes? Sir, thou knowest. Poor John. He doesn't know what he's saying. You, You tell me. These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's where I feel the Savior's love. So as we as we as we study the book of Revelation, already I, there's this sense that it is this is not a scary book to talk about. Oh, no. There oh, is no. so much hope. There's so much peace. Yes, uh, Lynn, do you mind walking us through some of these verses about where that hope, where that peace comes from, oh, and yes. as we focus on Christ through this revelation? Yeah. Well, I just read that beautiful one in chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen. But as we start eight, and the seventh seal is opened, each seal has an angel okay. and a horse and man and all these other things. But the angel that comes down here goes to the altar. This is verse three, and um, the altar of can represent the incense altar in the temple where the prayers are ascending to heaven, or it can represent the altar where the sacrifices are laid. But both are our savior. You know, the, mm-hmm. he is the great and last sacrifice. He is our vicarious one. And so I see this angel coming down and the altar in the Old Testament was the place that you could go to for asylum and you would hold on to the, the horns. And I see our savior um, sending angels, ministering angels to all, who will come to the grace of God and bow at the altar and of our Savior's atoning sacrifice. That is is one of my favorites there. Another one, starting in chapter 9, verse 4, about halfway down, he says, don't hurt the grass or whatever. And then he said, only the men, or men or women, I, I like reading the NIV translation because they always put the gender correct. Oh, so it's, it's both genders on this one in the Greek. Only heard those which have not the seal of God on their foreheads. So if we have made covenants with God, these tragedies of the last day don't, don't affect us at the same level. Do you remember in Moses um, where the plagues did not affect the Hebrews? Right. That's exactly what we see in the book of Abraham. And what do they use to protect themselves? Well, it's this covenants that they make with God. It's the seal of God in their foreheads. Mm -hmm. It's their initiatories. It's their endowment. It's their baptismal covenants. I feel like this is one reason why our prophet is encouraging us to live our covenants and to receive our next covenants, prepare for our next covenants, is because that is going to be the promise. Once once a week, I always uh, go early in the morning and, and catch the first session in the temple. And the protection that that provides in my life is uh, almost impossible to even describe. As I sit there in the celestial room praying and, and looking for guidance, and, and I've, I've seen just miracles in my life, it's, it's our Savior Jesus Christ that made possible this, this uh, sealing and, and protective power uh, that, that we can experience in the temple and, and experience literally nowhere else. I also feel our temple attendant helps us better understand the book of Revelation. Sure, absolutely. If we have not only the help of Joseph Smith's sermons and his revelations, but we have the temple, and the temple really opens the text 
for me. If I just think about it enough, I can see temple symbolisms. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that brings us back to these verses in chapter seven, verse 14. These are they which came out of great tribulation, have washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the lamb. We talk about making covenants. We talk about, um, therefore, they uh, are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. We have this beautiful imagery of this modern day worship to, to overcome some of these things. And it says, and he shall dwell among them. Christ himself, we can have his very presence with us. Uh, if we, we have paid the, the price of, of keeping the commandments and, and uh, loving each other and, and following uh, what he told us, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. That, that, that's our purest love of Christ comes from our willingness to do what he said. You know, the, the world would, would tell us that, uh, you know, that cramps you, that restricts you. True freedom comes when you willingly submit yourself to God. That's true freedom and, and greatest happiness. You know, Michael, as you uh, were telling us that beautiful story about your, your lovely wife, uh, I, I can't help but think about just the, that hope that, that comes from living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Elder Uchtdorf has a beautiful quote that, that speaks to that. It speaks to that in other situations as well that we go through. He says, please understand that what you see and experience now is not what forever will be. You will not feel loneliness, sorrow, pain, or discouragement forever. We have the faithful promise of God that he will neither forget nor forsake those who incline their hearts to him. Have hope and faith in that promise. Learn to love your heavenly father and become his disciple in word and in deed. Thank you both so much for sharing your thoughts and insights and your experiences thank with us you. on this first part of the show. And for the audience, you've been great. Thank you as well for your participation in this first discussion topic. And for you at home, how do you find peace in troubled times? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. The way I prepare spiritually for the second coming is by attending the temple. At the temple, I feel I'm able to see an eternal perspective and really clear my mind and focus on the things that really matter. One of the ways that I like to prepare myself for the second coming spiritually is by doing those things that I know are right, like reading my scriptures, going to the temple, and talking to my friends and family, and just trying to keep those relationships that I already have. I feel like I can spiritually prepare for the second coming by being immersed in the scriptures every single day. I feel like that daily, I don't feel like it's like a charge up of spiritual energy helps me to always think about Jesus Christ and be, be ready and prepared for what's coming. There's a lot of darkness and distractions that Satan likes to throw at us in our everyday life. Um, but as we feel the Spirit, we can seek joy in the world and we can see through the darkness and see the positive. And Heavenly, wants us, Heavenly Father wants us on this earth and He wants us to feel joy and happiness and peace. Um, and through the Spirit, we can be able to do that amidst the darkness. The Spirit helps me see hope and joy in the world by giving me um, feelings of warmth. I feel like um, in a world where uh, there are so many problems and so many different challenges happening, um, I know that inside I can always feel the Spirit and I can always feel happy. I struggle with anxiety and it can be really hard every day. 
but because of the peace that the Spirit brings, I'm able to see that this world is so much more than fear. It's light and it's beautiful. The second topic we're going to discuss today is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're going to focus primarily on chapters 12 through 14 uh, for this topic. What sort of, what specific context can you provide for us within these chapters as it relates to this topic? I love the way that chapter 12 starts with the birth of the church. You know, we have this righteous mother figure, um, nurturing figure who's going to be able to bear a child. Mm -hmm. And she represents the gospel, the church. And then the child is the kingdom of God to come. And then immediately thereafter, we're introduced to the adversary, to this dragon, you know, the one of the, of the, of the three devils. And we get this flashback. This is one of those interlude periods okay. where we go back to the war of heaven. Right. And because you don't understand the need for the second coming until you understand what happened earlier. So we get this starting in chapter 12, verse 7. Michael, the archangel, is Adam, and um, he is he fought the dragon in the premortal existence. And then in chapter 9, we finally get an introduction of who Satan is. The entire book of Genesis never mentions the word devil. It's not until you get to the New Testament, and more specifically right here, that we get a better definition of who our adversary is. We have the Lord coming, and as we're preparing for it, wickedness spreads across. And we've got two more beasts. And the word beast here, I think, Michael, isn't it a different word than the beasts that were surrounding the throne? Yes. So this is a different, it's hard in King yeah. James. Right. Yeah, I, I like reading this in other translations okay. sometimes. But chapter 13 introduces the beast of this on the sandy foundation, on the land, and the beast of the sea. Okay. And are not able to hurt the people in verse 8, chapter 13, verse 8, whose names are, not, are written in the book of life. So if we have made our covenants and we are living our covenants, then the Lamb's blood will be able to protect us. We have, I think it's 201 verses on the leading up to the second coming. And that's wow. right where all these are, just this last day stuff. It's our day. And in verse six, another angel comes, and I think this is Moroni. But scripture has many different levels of interpretation. I don't know if you want to change my Moroni there. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. I feel like we have such responsibility as um covenant members of the Church of Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith taught, if we have the Holy Ghost, we can do anything. And God has put us on earth right now to be his servants, to prepare the way for his coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we have such a responsibility. And the prophet is begging us, learn the spirit, learn how he talks to you, because I need you more. Remember when he was first called as a prophet in 2018, his conference report said, I asked the Lord what I should talk about. And then he said, the Lord wants to reveal so much more to you than, you, than you're taking advantage of. Yeah. And I feel that this is what this is talking about. I need you to be serving me. I need you to be working more than you are. And in our generation, it's hard to understand what a servant-master relationship is. We try to be equals. We try to have a little more ecumenity mm -hmm. in our relationships with each other. Um, but we certainly have got to treat our Savior mm -hmm. and our God as our masters. And what does it mean to really serve our masters? Well, we need to serve each other the same way. We need to be the ones washing the feet mm -hmm. and putting on the garment to wash the feet. And to me, that's what this is asking for here is he's asking us to 
show reverence to our master and obey him um, because Babylon needs to fall and it can't fall until our work is done. You know, this imagery of, of a war in heaven and of our, our master, our general, uh, to make it through. This, this war continues uh, today, Michael. What can you add to this discussion or what can you teach us about the war in heaven and how that has basically just transferred, it hasn't ended, it's pretty much just moved locations. Yeah, moved, exactly. Part of uh, why Revelations uh, is so difficult to grasp is he's bouncing around. You know, he mm -hmm. goes clear to the pre-existence and then back to the last days, but he's emphasizing the fact that Satan, right at the beginning, was already plotting to destroy the plan of God any way he could. In Revelations, we see him thwarted at every turn. No matter what he, he does, he can't, he can't destroy the plan of God, and it's the Lamb of God who, who makes that possible. I felt that in my own life. I, you know, I can do anything, but it's not anything, it's anything God wants. Mm -hmm. uh, again, that, that complete submission of our will to God. If we do that, then anything God wants us to do, we can do. You just say it so beautifully. And, and I love this, this, as we talk about in the book of Revelation, how scary this devil, this beast is being described as, as, as we uh, think about some of the horrible things that are happening in the world. How do you feel knowing that through the blood of the lamb, you can overcome the adversary? Jeanette. Um, yeah, I feel like knowing that gives me a lot of confidence because uh, growing up, I was really shy and learning more about Jesus Christ and about the power that we have through him and through his atonement gave me confidence to speak up, to learn how to stand up for what I believe in. And give me some experiences from your life, uh, Jeanette, that that confidence has led you to do. Like, what have you been able to accomplish because you gained that confidence through Jesus Christ? What that makes me think of is deciding to serve a mission because I was deciding to serve a mission right when the pandemic started in 2020. And it took a lot of confidence, a lot of courage to put in my papers, even when I didn't know what the future held mm -hmm. for me. And I'm so glad that I decided to serve a mission because the blessings that came were so much bigger than I expected. And I was able to overcome things like a a global pandemic are also things like my own fears in order to serve others and really come to know Jesus Christ. Another perfect example of what John is trying to, to show us here is that there are going to be dark times, yet through Christ, we can overcome and we can prevail. So in, in Revelation chapter 14, uh, there's a lot of uh, imagery, a lot of things that we, we were familiar with in other scriptures. Can we walk through that and talk about some of these uh, images about how we can focus on, on the Lamb to make it through some of these difficult coming trials? One of the, the major imageries there is the angels coming with their sickles and harvesting. This immediately calls to mind the parable of the uh, wheat and the tares. Mm -hmm. These angels are coming and harvesting, and as they're harvesting, they're separating out the righteous to, to be with Christ, and the chaff, the, the tares, the weeds go off to be burned. Can I read verse 14? Yes, please. Yes, chapter 14, verse 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud. So to me, that's 
children of Israel, the cloud of Amen. the Lord protecting them. And upon the cloud was one who sat like in the son of man, having his head with a golden crown and in his hand was a sharp sickle. And then they go down and do the reaping all the way through verse 20. And as we look at that reaping, I'm looking at the second half of verse 18. They thrust in the sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vines of the earth and her grapes are fully ripe. And then skipping down to 20, and the wine press was trodden without the city and the blood came out. I just cannot talk about wine and a wine press without thinking of the atonement. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why Christ is the judge and why he is the one who's coming again is because he has paid the price. You know, he has trod the wine press alone, which, which you can't do. You got to have the whole community out to step on the little grapes. Mm-hmm. He, did, he, it he alone, did it alone and he did what no one else could do. I love the imagery of him in the book of Revelation because it helps me see him in a greater mm-hmm. nature. Right. You served your mission, Michael, in in Germany. Yes. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about some of those experiences and how that helped you feel a part of this gathering, a part of this preparation for Christ's second coming? Near the end of my mission, uh, this was in a town called uh, Reichelsdorfer Keller near Nuremberg. And uh, we were tracting through and we looked up and there was a chimney sweep and he said, what are you doing? And he said, we're preaching the gospel. And we made an appointment, and this was Ludwig Freiberger. I still remember his name. And we became the closest of friends uh, uh, there in the mission field. Before I left, he even gave me a little um, silver bracelet that had his name on it. And, and we continued to, to uh, write after, you know, he was surprised that I got married so quickly when I got home. Uh, but. <laughs> With some of the people I met, I, I came to love so dearly. There was one beautiful uh, sister, Shester Popka. Uh, sh- she uh, had lost her husband and three sons in World War II. She was uh, a widow. She had uh, a hunched back, but she loved the missionaries. And we would come there, and she had a garden there with strawberries. And she would bring out a wash tub of strawberries, and we would have strawberries and strawberry milk. And she just loved us. And uh, she asked for a blessing. And uh, I, I gave her a blessing. And I knew that she would not survive. And she died soon thereafter. And for her, that was the greatest blessing that could be. She was reunited with her, her dear uh, husband and her sons, and uh, she had endured so much in this life, but remained absolutely firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a, what a beautiful woman she was. Thank you, Michael. Lynn, as we talk about these events leading up to the second coming, we're gonna see some strong examples uh, like Michael just shared, of, of really faithful saints. On the other hand, what does that mean for the adversary and those who follow him? Yeah. What, is, what is his goal and his mission now that we are getting closer? I'm glad you said that because I feel the book of Revelation really gives us an insight on the nature of God and the nature of the adversary. And we see that as the Lord gives us more blessings, the adversary has to work extra mm-hmm. hard. And I feel that... Um, the adversary is going to try to take down p- people from living their covenants. And we see that 
not only in the text in chapters 13 and 12, but we also see it um, in our lives all around us. I love chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints, they that keep the commandments of God and faith in Jesus. You know, you will be blessed if we can die in the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, our goal is to endure and with our covenants intact. You know, as a father of young kids, this can be really scary for them. And we actually had a, a, a question come in from one of our, our younger viewers. And I would love to get some of your, your thoughts on this. Hi, my name is Matt and I was reading the book of Revelations and it made me ponder, how can a child like myself be protected from Satan's latter-day temptations? It's a good question. Oh, it's How a cute fabulous <laughs> question, Matt. So nice to meet you. All right, Matt, if you were here sitting next to me, I would say, Matt, put on the armor of God every day, the helmet of salvation of Jesus Christ. You put on the breastplate and in your hand, is the word of God. The sword is the word of God. So never leave without a few minutes with the word of God. And if you are protected with our savior through prayer, through his word, and he will act as a shield for you. And not only will he protect you, but then you can be part of his offensive to share peace mm -hmm. and love with others. That's beautiful, thank you. Uh, it reminds me of an experience I had when I was uh, a BYU bishop. I believe it was the stake president was was talking, and when when we came into the meeting, there was a guy sitting on the stand in armor, complete armor, you know, and, and we're just kind of looking and wondering, <laughs> you know, and and so I. Uh, he, he went into to Paul's description of the putting on the armor of God and whatnot, and he, he had this guy stand up, you know, and it was plastic, it wasn't real armor. And then he said, do you feel, you feel like you're protected? And suddenly someone in the audience stood up with a bowl and pulled back, <laughs> and this guy dropped to the ground, you know. Uh, and, you know, the point being, you gotta make sure you've got the right armor. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it can't just be plastic because Satan is out there and he's got that bow trained on you. And it, it was a message that I think the, you know, the, the BYU students in, in, in our, our stake there really appreciated and understood. You know, we have a, a, a beautiful quote as you talk about these last days and, and you know, putting on the right armor, uh, what the book of Revelation is all about. Uh, Sister Cheko Okazaki, she says this about Christ. I testify that my Christ is my hope. He is my hope on rainy Monday mornings, my hope on dark nights, and my hope in the face of death and despair. We're going to face a lot of things as we approach the second coming. Yet, what a great message that through Jesus Christ, there is that hope that we can overcome anything that comes our way. I'm really, really excited to dive into to more of these chapters and footnotes. I can't thank you both enough for sharing uh, again with us on the second topic. And for the audience, you've been so great. Thanks for being here with us today and for sharing your testimonies with us as well. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover in footnotes. So please stay with us. I feel like the Spirit communicates with me through um, whisperings. Um, a lot of the time I feel like I can hear Heavenly Father speaking to me, like as if He was just right next to me. Um, I feel a lot of 
joy and peace in my heart um, when I know that I'm doing the right thing and when I feel like Heavenly Father is guiding and leading me. The Spirit communicates to me in a lot of different ways. It's through peace, it's through happiness, um, and over a lot of times an overwhelming sense of happiness. Sometimes I will hear words and phrases that I just know that there's truth and that is the right thing to do. I hear the Spirit through the voices of other people and other people being inspired to talk to me. Um, I hear the Spirit through the prophet, I hear the Spirit through the scriptures, but I hear the Spirit mostly through my brothers and sisters. The Spirit communicates to me through a lot of different ways. When I was younger, it was more through uh, feelings and emotions. And the older I get, it seems to be more through thoughts. So although it's still changing, it's awesome to see that God is still communicating. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about Revelation chapters 6 through 14 with Lynn and Michael. Okay, I, I'm really excited to jump in and, and learn from the both of you. Uh, one of the things that we, we get introduced to in chapter 5, actually, is the scroll with the seven seals. And uh, we actually have a, a visual of this scroll with the seven seals to kind of assist and aid in our study today. Oh, fabulous. So hopefully we can uh, we can use this and kind of walk through. Uh, just from, first off, uh, from your initial observation, uh, give us some initial thoughts on, on, as far as the visual, how did the original uh, scroll compare, as far as the vision goes, compare with, with what we're seeing now? Okay, there's, there's actually a couple of, uh, interpretations okay the, the the interpretation the uh the wrong interpretation that, that most readers of revelation get is that we're talking about a book okay and, you know <laughs> and you could just open a seal and get to a certain part that is, is clearly not the case it was definitely a scroll the, the word used in the, the greek text is, is, is biblos which means a scroll okay so, so uh this interpretation when uh, a king for example would send a message to someone he would put a seal uh, a, a thread around it or a string around it and seal it with his seal and that That's way amazing. it could not be opened until that seal was broken and if the seal were broken then then uh, you couldn't rely upon the message that was in there okay and so uh, with with seven seals, uh, if, if you take the interpretation in this way, uh, every single one of the seals has to be opened before you actually can read what what's inside, okay. which is you know basically the uh, history of the world and 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 uh, the culmination of, of the history with the second coming of Christ. And I think that's one reason why for us, it's easier to understand this because we can separate out the first coming, the second coming, and with the help of the restoration, uh, there's so many more details that we can understand it. First of all, we're in the, after this yeah. opening of the seventh seal. I, I love the, the symbolism that John uses as he uh, tries to describe modern warfare from his perspective. Oh. Do you mind if we jump into these, some of these chapters that, and verses? It's crazy, yeah. Insane, yeah. I love it. All right, let's, let's, let's look in uh, chapter nine. It says there in uh, verse seven, the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. Horses were the, you know, one of the primary uh, It was a combat. war animal. Yeah, it was a war animal. Uh, and then it says, they had, in verse nine, 
They had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. You know, think of a, a tank with it, its armor on it. And the sound of the, the, their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses. You know, uh, airplanes. Fighter jets. Helicopters. Yeah. And, yeah, and helicopters. spewing yeah. fire. Uh, again, in verse 17, uh, the horses in the vision had breastplates of fire and jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were the heads of lions, and their mouths is issued fire and smoke and, and brimstone. brimstone. Wow. I mean, what a perfect description of modern armored warfare. Yeah. And symbolically, it's a description of hell, yeah, which is yeah, what is happening yeah, as it, we it are really destroying is. life. Exactly. It's it's interesting that that he is is able to even describe these things in in you know he has to use terminology that that people are familiar with and you know I you know I imagine what how I would describe two thousand years in the future if I saw that now and you know and who knows in the final verse of that that uh, chapter, chapter you know with all of oh, this good. horror going on. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Okay, so what, we're all teachers here. We've taught yes. for years. If, if you're holding a class or even just to, to those listening or watching, what do we do with this information? Uh, if, if you're reading this, you're understanding this, you're seeing how clearly this is depicting our day and how dangerous things can get. What's, what's something that we can use from this to... So, you know, I'm going to take this and I'm going to do this to, to yeah, better Well, If myself. you're going to play a, another team, even if it, you're just on a track meet, let alone a football team, you're going to know what your competition is up to. Okay. I think it's very healthy to see this and say, we know what the satanic influences are doing, but we always know the outcome. We okay. know the end from the beginning. God is going to win. And we are on the winning team. If we can serve him valiantly, we will conquer. And we have so many resources yeah. to help with that. And you know, they today. did these marathons then, and the victor's crown in that day was a laurel wreath. You'd run uh -huh. this huge, long 26 and miles get. and get a laurel wreath. And <laughs> you know, the victor's crown, this beautiful wreath of laurel leaves, um, is mentioned here many times. Wow. The victor is always being given the crown. And we also get the images from the temple of beautiful white robes, which the priests mm -hmm. were using in the ancient temples. I, I recall uh, Elder Holland uh, one time saying, we already know which team is going to win. The only thing we're trying to determine is which jersey we're wearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I feel that way every morning when I get dressed. I put on the, the, jersey. the, I put yeah. on the name of Christ. Yeah. You know, I step into my name of Christ. I put him on, I have Christ, I'm on his team, and I wear it with honor. You know, one of the things that is challenging living in, in today's world is we have so much good, but there's also so much evil. And, and one of the difficult things, especially teaching youth that I see is it's really hard sometimes to determine what the evil is because it kind of, it's, it's disguised. Okay, so the book of Revelation, especially these last uh, parts of this week, 12, 13, 14, 15, introduces these satanic, um, some people have called them the satanic trinity. Okay. And um, we see that they are not only counterfeits, but they are really trying to deceive. It's, they're trying to take upon themselves that image. So we've got the dragon. And then in, verse, in chapter 13, we've got the beast of the sea that comes out of the sea. Um, and then we've got the beast 
on the land. And that beast on the land is one who claims to be a lamb, mm -hmm. but he has horns. horns. Yeah. And Lambs sheep don't have horns. horns. At least wow. the lamb, yeah, age, ram, a ram does, but not a lamb. But uh, even a male lamb doesn't have horns. They, they develop later. And so. Yeah, so as far as being a lamb, and then we have two female figures in the scriptures. So in chapter 12, verse one, we have our first woman and the Joseph Smith translation helps us on this one and says, she represents the church. This right. is the organization that God is allowing us to try to run. And yet the Lord has entrusted us into doing this, but what she delivers, according to the Joseph Smith translation and also section 76 repeats right. the same thing, verse 28, is the kingdom of God and his Christ. What is it about the, the passion? What drives the passion you have for the scriptures and for all the study you do that keeps you focused and centered on Christ throughout all the things you've studied and learned uh, in your career? Well, my career is being a mom. Oh, uh, I love that. <laughs> so uh, I fell in love with the scriptures in seminary and I began graduate school to get a, my doctorate in biblical studies um, and then began my family and I decided I was going to put that on hold. So I just studied a language, you know, I'd study Hebrew or Greek or whatever, just on the side when the kids are napping or mm -hmm. at bedtime um, for 19 years. And I didn't go wow. back to get my doctorate until my youngest, I have seven kids. My youngest went back to school or started school. I went back to school okay. and, and finished my doctorate. Um, but I've always been teaching during that time. And I feel that um, the blessing of having the restoration has taught me mm -hmm. that the scriptures um, and the learning of men is nothing without pointing to Christ. And I get that from the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk of Christ, we preach of Christ, that our children may know to what source to look for remission of their sins. I feel like um, if I will begin my scripture study with prayer, I get so much more out of it and I can see the things that then will benefit myself, my family, my students. I, I really believe that the Lord gave us the scriptures to build our faith mm -hmm. and to draw closer to him. It's fascinating, even Christ when he's tempted, do you know what he does? He quotes scriptures. Right. I'm sure he was tempted more than those three times, <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> at least those three times that are recorded in the scriptures, he records, he, denounces the devil by recording scriptures. So I feel like one of the greatest armor that we can have against the adversary is knowing our scriptures, mm -hmm. knowing what the Savior has taught us and our modern prophets. Right, and I'll ask you the same thing, Michael. How is all the study you've done, uh, whether it's you know, with physics or, or astronomy or you know, Egyptology, um, how has that all helped you to stay focused and centered on Christ? by seeing Christ's hand in all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, take uh, Egyptology, you know, I, I uh, uh, translated it and uh, did a commentary on the Joseph Smith Egyptian papyri. And in, in so doing, uh, I could see in the Egyptians elements of the gospel that, that they had in astronomy, uh, you know, uh, many is the night I've, I've been in the observatory and, and I'm, I'm looking at the, the star field and there's, there's millions of stars up there. And in fact, you know, if you uh, take the, the cup of the Big Dipper and, and if, if you focused in on that with the, the Hubble or the Webb telescope, 
there are over a million galaxies. Each one has a hundred billion stars. There are I can't billions, even comprehend these kind of numbers. <laughs> billions of galaxies out there, stars, and around those stars are planets. Uh, one of the major studies I've, I'm still doing in astronomy is exoplanets. There's planets around all those stars. And on some of those planets, there's uh, children of God who look to Jesus Christ, our Savior, as their Redeemer. Uh, it, it's just awe-inspiring. Uh, you know, no matter what you study, you can find the gospel in it if if you if you're in tune with the spirit and 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 looking you try. for it. Yeah. yeah, but you have to stay humble and meek. Ab absolutely, and uh, there's nothing like having a good wife that keeps you humble. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How does this connect um, and add validity? to uh, the gospel and to the restoration. It's absolutely amazing to me that this ancient text, and then Ezekiel sees a vision of the throne. I mean, we have Isaiah's vision. We have, I counted 16 people who've seen the Lord in our scriptures, and yet they have consistent parallels to each of them. And Lehi and Nephi's vision, giving John credit, has the Book of Mormon act as a witness of the mm. Bible. Right, and right. I love right, using the Book of Mormon as my best commentary on the Old Testament. Yeah. I love using the Book of Mormon as a commentary on the time of Christ, especially on things even like um, Sermon on the Mount. It, Blessed are those um, who mourn, who come unto me. me. You know, if we don't mm -hmm. have the additions that are made, and almost every verse from the King James, at least 50% of the verse, I think it's 62% or something, of the verses of King James that are quoted are changed in the Book of Mormon. And they are such a blessing. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you just one little story? Absolutely. Okay, I was getting my doctorate, and I have to have this oral exam. Okay. And I'm supposed to giving a exegesis or a discussion on the Beatitudes. And so I started out by saying, I think the Beatitudes are high Christology, or they testify that Jesus was the promised Messiah. My professor slams his hand on the table and he said, you are quoting the Book of Mormon. <laughs> I said, oh, and he pulls out a Xerox copy of third DeFi and he puts it in front of me and he said, these are the words that are not in Matthew. And he had them all circled. <laughs> wow. And I passed. Barely, <laughs> but it was so fabulous um, to have somebody else acknowledging also the Book of Mormon takes the Sermon on the Mount and centers it to Jesus Christ, yeah. that we have to come unto the Lord, whereas Matthew is just platitudes that can be used philosophically mm. if you choose. It's yeah. an entirely different takeaway, and I was taught that by my wonderful professor at Marquette <laughs> University. Okay, last question before we wrap up this discussion. Sure. How does the book of Revelation strengthen your testimony in Jesus Christ? We know how wonderful he is. We know how great he is. We know how, how hard working with us is. Yeah. Well, I, you know, when Richard Draper and I did our you know, 900 plus page commentary on the book of Revelation, that was 10 years of work. Uh, and we became intimately associated with the text. You know, I, I translated every single word and struggled with how 
the meaning of that word was and and came away with just a a humble witness that this is truly the word of god uh, this 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 isn't something that some guy made up uh, mm -hmm. and and uh, it is an instruction book for the last days for us i think so too mm -hmm. and uh how grateful i am for uh the scribes through the Middle Ages that copied these things down and passed them on to us, and then the corrections made by Joseph Smith and the, the Book of Mormon to, to clarify and help us better understand it. And uh, if we get anything from uh, what uh, Nephi said, Nephi is told there, even John in, in the Book of Revelation only gave us a tiny bit of what he saw. You know, I think of Joseph Smith's statement, you know, uh, as he was doing the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, you know, he said, you know, I've, I've read chapter one of Genesis and the whole thing was unfolded before mine eyes. And I went to the next for Joseph saw the whole thing. It must have been exactly what what John mm -hmm. or, or Nephi saw. He saw as well. And and you know his writings and his his testimony to us reinforce the the central role that uh, Jesus Christ has in our lives and and how we can absolutely rely on him to to save us yes and what a mighty king and even though we have you know our 201 verses on our day on mm -hmm. all the calamities and plagues and disasters we get the millennium and the celestialized world we see what happens when our Lord is reigning mm -hmm. and we see the peace that can come. And I hope in our own lives, the Lord can reign now, even in the midst of this calamity, he can be our king. king. And what a great message that he can be our king as we sit in this beautiful setting, Christmas time to focus on him and, and always put him at the center of our lives and everything we do. It has been an absolute treat to be with both of you and learn from you and just feel of your goodness. Thank you both so very much for joining us today. It's Happy to be with you and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. And thank you at home for joining us for this discussion from Revelation chapters six through 14. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. For additional study and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash come follow up. Next week is our Christmas episode. Please join us as we rejoice in the Savior whose humble mortal birth changed the world. Thank you for watching.